Welcome to the Leadership Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Jono White. I'm the founder and principal consultant of Clarity. We are an Australian-based consultancy that works with leaders around the world, and our passion is to invest in people to become everything they're meant to be in order to fill the world with healthy organizations that people love to work for and customers line up to buy from. The goal of this podcast is to invest in you and your leadership. If you're just joining us for the first time, then feel free to check out consultclarity.org. That's our website, consultclarity.org. We have so many free resources on there. The most popular being our seven questions on leadership series. We've had more than 1,500 leaders from around the world in all different sectors give their in-depth answers on leadership, what books they love, what they found most challenging, uh, the most meaningful stories, how they how they structure their time through the day. That's free, so go and check it out. And we'd love to interview you about your leadership. I believe you have advice from your experience, your context, and your life so far that is important and can help other leaders. It's also a great way to give back. It's free to get involved, and you can do so by going to consultclarity.org forward slash seven dash questions dash interest, or just Google consultclarity.org seven questions interest and fill out the form that pops up. We have a free resource for you on our website. It's called Leadership Survival Guide. It's a 57-page ebook. It has interviews with 10 world-class leaders, and you can go to consultclarity.org. It's right at the top and get that today. Uh, we also have a daily email that we send out to over 15,000 leaders, and that email contains the highlights, our best content from our podcasts, our blog, uh, my book, uh, the books that we're loving that are out there about leadership, it's also the best way to get access to our masterclasses and workshops before anyone else. And there's also exclusive and limited uh, special options just for subscribers. And you can subscribe by going to consultclarity.org forward slash subscribe. Now, my gift to you is to work incredibly hard to provide the best leadership content I can to invest in you and your leadership. So if you're finding our content helpful, if you find this podcast helpful, then your gift to me uh, could be this. If you, if you do find it helpful, then write a review or rate our content and make sure you subscribe or follow. I can't emphasize enough how helpful that is. It really does help us to get the word out there so we can invest in more leaders to become everything they're meant to be. It also means a lot to me personally when people like you and people in our community share our content on social media. So if you do that, then please do look for me, Jono White, to tag me and look to tag Clarity uh, on whatever platform you're on. And our team, including me, I, I'm always looking to see when people have mentioned us so that I can engage with you. And also we look at sharing content. So if you if you write something about something we've done, there's also a good chance we'll share that with our followers. So if you could do that, that is a massive, massive help as we try to invest in as many leaders as we can around the world. Last of all, you can check out my book about how to deal with difficult people even if you hate conflict. It's called Step Up or Step Out. It's available on Amazon. You can just look up Step Up or Step Out John O'White or you can go to store.consultclarity.org forward slash book and check it out there. I 
have coached leader after leader after leader. And in more than 50% of the sessions, this topic comes up. How do I deal with this person? I'm finding it really difficult. And, and I just want to find a way that doesn't blow up to do a really, just to have a difficult conversation, to lead them better. How do I do that? There's a three-step process that I outline in this book that I believe can help you. Okay, let's get into today's episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast. Enjoy. Welcome to another episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast. Today's guest is Nathan Jones. Nathan is the Managing Director of Improvability, and we're going to find out about improvability and about a, a, a few other things about Nathan, what he does. I'm really excited about this conversation. Thanks for coming on, Nathan. Thanks for the invitation, John. It's great, great to be here. Yeah, it is lovely to, to have a chance to catch up and chat about all things leadership. First of all, for our listeners, give us a bit of a window into your world, you know, what you do at Improvability, what your role is <laughs> as a managing director, and uh, but also a bit of a, a, I guess, a day in the life of Nathan outside of work as well. Sure. Uh, look, I started Improvability a few years ago. Um, Frankly, I started it because I was getting a lot of uh, a lot of people requesting me coming to conferences, being part of Q and A's, and and giving presentations. Uh, but it quickly became evident that uh, I couldn't do this on my own. And a couple of my uh, friends um, who I'd been working with and really enjoyed that uh, decided to pull this this group together, and we formed a company that was a little bit different than not the typical consultancy kind of organization. Uh, we're not going to give you you know fifty. 50,000 uh, page PowerPoint deck. Um, we, we felt that many of the, of the market players in consulting had a very structured way of doing things, which for some people works great. Um, but we decided that a lot of what we were getting success with was talking with people, uh, finding out what they needed and then helping them come up with solutions. And so my role was to start to develop different services that we could provide, uh, right down to having to build the, the original website. And thankfully, uh, I got good advice from uh, from someone to not publish that. Um, I, I may be a pretty decent engineer, but I'm definitely not a website publisher. <laughs> um, but uh, we, we, we have a, a, a very flexible organization and uh, we, we are actually about to invite um, expressions of interest for people to come and, and join us. We're getting a lot of uh, a lot of people asking us uh, how we can help them. Um, but the role uh, I've most recently been working with a couple of large organizations. Uh, I've been a program director for very large uh, multi-billion dollar programs. Um, I also have been an advisor uh, acting as a CEO for a little while, but also assisting uh, to help set up strategy. Um, a lot of strategy advisory companies will help with those wonderful PowerPoint decks, but it is sometimes a challenge for, for large organizations or even small ones to be able to turn that strategy into something that they can tangibly do and see results and know that the money and, and the time that they're investing actually gives them something out the other end. And that's really what uh, our organization um, tries to assist with. Yeah, I love that, and I love the approach, and I think it's uh, there's a lot of merit to that in actually 
And uh, I think everyone listening would know from experience, I think a lot of us, or from being part of an organization where, say, a strategic plan uh, is reviewed once a year, the box is ticked, it's put in the drawer or uh, in the filing system, and then next year comes around, oh, that's right, we've got to uh, tick that box again. And uh, that is the exact opposite of, of good strategy. So I love I love your approach in wanting to, to help people make sure they execute and see good results instead of just playing it safe. Absolutely. And what about uh, what about a day in the life of Nathan? <laughs> what does that what does that look oh, like in, well. in 2022? <laughs> well, it's a lot of fun. I have uh, four kids at five different schools, so if if anything says that I know a little bit about logistics, it's that. Um, but no, I uh, I've, I've, I live in the Blue Mountains and have a, a beautiful view uh, that I get to, to appreciate every day. Um, but I'm also very easily able to get to the city um, and and assist others. Uh, I am, I'm, a, I'm a, a triathlete. Uh, I emphasise try, um, and uh, definitely am enjoying the idea that there's a that there's a uh, a half Ironman coming up later in the year. Um, I love spending time with friends, but obviously we've had a challenging time with that recently. Um, uh, but I've, I'm also an avid reader. Uh, I've listened to podcasts so, uh, and I spend a lot of time with my family um, and my, my wonderful wife who has the patience of a saint. She's, uh, she's supporting me um, in doing all these crazy things. Yeah, incredible. And, uh, and Blue Mountains, for those, uh, for those outside of Australia, is like one of the best, one of the best, most beautiful places in all of Australia. It's a pretty spectacular place to live. I, I have to admit I'm a bit jealous hearing that you're based up there. Yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful place to be. Uh, so let's find out a bit more about you and your background. Um, for listeners, tell us about your story. What are some of those moments going all the way back to childhood that really shaped you becoming uh, the leader and the consultant that you are today, Nathan? Well, I was one of those really nerdy kids at school, uh, you know, right back as, as early as, uh, as primary school. Um, I'd bring in books to read to the class and uh, I'd always pride myself on, on doing really well in, in exams, but I was never the popular kid. But strangely enough, I had a lot of friends who were the popular kids. And so I got to hang around with all these people building, uh, building relationships and found that it didn't seem to matter how much I knew about something or people were, were really didn't want to, to, to know about the latest technology, particularly as a, as, a, as a 12 to 15 year old, people wanted to build relationships. And even from that early age, I started to realize that that was what was actually going to build a successful life, is a great relationship with others. I went to university, uh, several universities, and, uh, and got a number of pieces of paper and found myself uh, in meetings where I felt like I had to be seen as the smartest person in the room. I'd always have to be the one, the, the quickest one with an answer. And I found that that was alienating me from others. And people weren't coming to me for an answer, even though I felt that I would have a solution. And I got some really good advice early on, uh, which was, and I think that this quote comes from someone else, was that if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. You're not going to learn anything by constantly being the one who gives the answer. Oh, yeah, that's good. Um, I like and that. I had some great mentors early. Yeah, and I, and I had some great adv advice from uh, some wonderful mentors early uh, in my career that really helped me to, to take a step back and listen and learn from others. 
and treat everyone as though you can learn something from them because you genuinely can. And if you as a, as a kid would, would show respect to a teacher, then surely you throughout your life can show respect to others who can teach you something. And that's, that's certainly the ethos that, uh, that I've brought with me uh, into, into improvability. And I've only surrounded myself with people who also have that kind of approach. Um, we're a very, very values-based organization. Um, I, I started my career as, a, as an engineer, uh, quite literally watching paint dry. Uh, I worked for, for companies manufacturing <laughs> uh, coated, coated steel products. No um, way. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm that guy who, uh, when, when doing the... Uh, doing postgraduate studies was uh, was um, watching paint dry and then poking it with a stick. That was actually how I described what I did for, to, to, uh, to others. But I got into organizations uh, and found that there was always something that needed fixing. There was always one more thing that was creating frustration for others. And I just found a real passion for getting in and trying to, to, to solve that. I got a real buzz out of people uh, seeing a better way and often being able to tell me once we'd fixed it that, hey, it's always been that way. And I found that it was the relationship that you built with people through the process of change that made the difference. It made it stick. And that's what I've learned and carried forward. I've, I've had some brilliant bits of advice. Um, it's in particular from a, a general manager who we didn't get along to begin with. Uh, and I think it was because I was, I was that arrogant kid still. And she took me aside and, and gave me a great piece of advice, which is don't try to search for your next job. Do this one well and opportunities will, will present themselves. And you never know what they are and when they'll, when they'll, when they'll come. And it's probably one of the, the, the most salient bits of advice I've had. And I've had so many opportunities to try things that I would never have considered uh, and have learned so much from so many people because of that advice. Don't try and climb a corporate ladder because you, all you find is that there's just more ladder to climb. If you, if you do the job you've got in front of you well and build good relationships with people and demonstrate value, then people will look to you for other opportunities to, to demonstrate new value, chances to learn. Uh, and that's, that's where I found myself now. Um, I get calls from people uh, in industries that I'd never considered being in before. And suddenly I've been in most organizations and in, in most, uh, uh, most industries. I even did rocket science for a while and you know, that wasn't rocket science. I think I only did that to be able to tell that joke. <laughs> yeah, but, that's, that's a good one. But it's been a, been a wonderful career uh, of, of trying new things because of having good mentors and realizing that it's not about the, the technical skills that you have in entirety. It's actually about building good relationships and being respectful with others. Uh, and being respectful doesn't always mean um, saying yes all the time. Respectful candor can often simply mean uh, saying, look, I, I don't believe that's the right, uh, the right path to follow, and this is why. Yeah, I really like that idea of respectful uh, candor. If you look back in your career and even growing up, are there any moments that really spring to mind that were pivotal for you where you saw someone lead uh, exceptionally well through a tough situation? Or yeah, I remember during my undergraduate uh, course um, at university in engineering, um, I was fortunate to have a few scholarships. And one of those scholarship programs had me working at a manufacturing facility in Sydney. 
And that facility was being bought out by a joint venture between uh, a Japanese organization and an American organization. And the cultural difference in how manufacturing problems were being approached between those three factions, the Australian, the Japanese, and the Americans, was palpable. It was quite challenging dealing with that environment. And I had a, a really good leader who took me aside and said, well, how would you approach this? And my approach was to actually go to the production line, talk to the operators, talk to people who are right close to, to how things worked uh, and ask them and talk to them about the problem. How would they go about it? And we came up with solutions. And when I brought that back uh, to, to the group that was still arguing about how they would approach things, that leader put me in front of the senior managers and the executives of those three factions to present the solution. He didn't present it as his solution, which would have been uh, certainly in his interest to do so. He put me forward and gave me the opportunity to talk with senior executives and realize that actually senior executives are human just like anyone else. They've got to put their pants on one leg at a time. He taught me the respect that leaders put other people first. And I believe it was Jack Welsh who said that early in your career, you focus on developing yourself. When you become a leader, you're focusing on developing others. And that's that's something that I've taken to heart. And it was that early moment that really taught me. And there is a cost to output. You know, I, so I had another guest on the podcast talk about um, a quote. I can't remember exactly what it was, but about this idea. It was this sort of idea that um, sometimes to invest in others, you actually need to give them something that you could do better than them and faster than them but you choose to still let them do it because exactly what you just said, your focus isn't on yourself or even on the immediate results. It's actually on investing in them. That's where you get the ultimate ROI. Yes, for the business, but also in life. I think that's, you talk to anyone and their stories are always about people who invested in them. Um, from a wonderful, wonderful lady who eventually became my wife, uh, that um, you know, do that which only you can do. And if you do that, you're giving other people an opportunity <laughs> yeah. to, uh, to develop new skills. And one of the things I've actually done with one organization was to demonstrate that ROI, uh, that by teaching others to do something has a very short window of loss. Because, yes, you could do things faster. You could do things supposedly more effectively. But if you taught three people to do that, then you're potentially going to have three others who can do that. Now you've got an opportunity to gain. You can go and do something else that adds value, knowing that others can take care of that activity. And that's that's something that really good leaders. Yeah, but I don't think I don't think it is. Anyway, I'll give Michael Hyatt the the praise off the top of my head. But this idea of saying um, that if you can, if, when you identify something that you need to do more than once. Uh, just for an entrepreneur, you know, even for those who are running a small business and you're not yet at a point where you have a team, if you can identify something <laughs> and, you, and you're doing it more than once, then it's worth, I think the idea was it's worth investing up to 30 times the time it takes to do that one thing. So if it's a five minute task that you realize, oh, I'm actually having to do that once a week. Oh, I'm actually doing that once a fortnight. I didn't realize, but that's something that's recurring. Then it's worth investing, you know, two and a half hours to find a way to either automate it or to hand it off. And I like that idea because it's, I feel like those ratios, I don't know if it's exactly the same, but the ratios would be similar when it comes to investing in your people. Like if there's something that normally 
takes you X amount of time or effort, then exactly what you just said, This the upside of training others is so significant because of how it frees you up, because of how it increases capacity of your people, because of how it takes your team to another level, all these things that are really abstract and, and hard to measure, but they show up in the in the bottom line. And it would have to be, I, I don't know what the number would be, but I like that idea of 30 times. Like invest 30 times the amount of doing it yourself to really let it go and get others trained up in it so that you can move to the things that only you can do. Oh, I, I couldn't agree more. The, uh, I've had an opportunity to be a, a trainer uh, certificate for in competitive manufacturing, which is um, an old way of describing uh, Lean Six Sigma. And you know, teaching um, other people to do things was, was just so satisfying for, for me. Mm. But it was, it, I, I'd been trained at university, <laughs> I'd, I'd done all these courses to get to be a, a Six Sigma Master Black Belt. And by teaching others and getting other people to have to go through those exercises, I'd often get questions that I'd never considered. <laughs> Uh, the, the great question of, so why do you do that? Why would you do it that way? Often often you get stumped because you go, well, because I always have. And I love when you get to that point because you know that that's probably not the most effective and most efficient way of doing things. Um, but they have a new set of eyes. They're just the most valuable people in an organization. You've got the two most valuable and dangerous people in an organization. The new guy, because they, they, they don't really know enough yet um, to, to contribute uh, all that much, except they're also extraordinarily valuable because they've got new eyes and they can question things. The person that's been there for 20 odd years is also both valuable and dangerous. They're valuable because they've got the experience to understand the context about what what you're doing, how you're going about it. But they're often dangerous because they're the ones that have gotten into those habits of always doing things the same way. And one thing I've often described to, (laughs) to directors and senior executives is to really consider when they turn around and tell me that there's someone who has 20 years doing different things, not, not one year repeated 40 times, I'm, I'm massacring it. But it was that same idea that you just shared. And that it's so profound. It's a really interesting way to look at it and say, wait, well, do they have 20 years experience or do they have one year experience 20 times over? And are they just very much in a rut and can't see, can't see um, anything? Because you know what it's like when, yeah. you, when it's all you've done for so long, it, it does make it hard to innovate. Uh, if if they if they're caught up in that having to to get the new the next big title or get to the the next position up the ladder, they're often trying to replicate what they saw before, instead of bringing yeah. themselves and something new to that role. And with that comes a little bit of uh, a problem for an organisation because you, all you're trying to do is repeat someone else's work, but you don't have the context, you mm. don't have the history, so you're trying to just do tasks. And so you end up with this almost hubris problem uh, as, an, as a leader and an executive where you know, it, it's this, uh, this fallacy yeah. Of, um, yeah, right. of infallibility for, for a leader that, that's both replicated by those uh, who are at the front lines of an organization and often with the executives. And so people are afraid to, to be a little bit vulnerable and to say, you know what, I've got no clue. Yeah, Can you that's help right. Me? <laughs> um, and that... That I think is the sign of a good leader is actually to to be able to say, you know what, uh, can you help me because I I don't have that answer, or can you explain it to me in smaller words because I'm clearly not getting it, um, and that that is a leader because they're, they're they're being able to go, well, you know what, I'm not the expert, mm. uh, you are, 
help me, help me know how to do this. Uh, I, I've, I've kind mm. of described it to some people as, um, you know, you get a title and what, you, you say yeah, you're the general manager of projects. Does that suddenly give you all the skills and the experience of being a project manager? It's just a title, all of those. Um, Patrick Lencioni, I would say, is probably the one I give to people quite a lot. Uh, two books in particular. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, well, I, I must admit I've started listening to yours, Jono, um, but I, uh, I also, um, mm. <laughs> quite, quite uh, by sheer coincidence, I've been listening to The Motive, which is another Lencioni uh, book, uh, talking about um, why people become an executive. And it was interesting that he describes yeah. that as the book he wished he'd written first um, and the, the whole concept of being a servant leader as opposed to trying to uh, get that title and, and the, the, the title of a CEO or a director is in itself yep. a reward. Um, so that's something that I've definitely um, definitely been listening to um, of, of late, uh, going backwards and forwards over it. Um, our own podcast, I'm actually about to release another season. Um, our first season was, uh, which is 110% improvability. Um, and it's, it's a very short, uh, we, we described it as a very short, almost coffee break kind of, um, excerpts, just talking people through, uh, you know, management, oh, wow. diving, you know, yeah, what, is a, what is a SWOT analysis? Uh, what are some of the issues you might face in project management? Uh, in fact, one of my, one of my daughters actually did a, an episode yeah, on the challenges, um, of being a, a primary school student in lockdown. Um, uh, my father did an episode on uh, on being a, a now retired quality manager and what, what, how, how has he think, seen things change over the years. Um, but our next season is going to be focusing yeah. on, uh, on values um, and the values of our organizations, explaining why we, we think the way we do. Um, but also, I guess, talking to people about um, yes. how values are often expressed as being important in an organization. However, there are many organizations that don't really live to those values mm. and you end up with uh, organizations then that don't have high degrees of psychological safety where someone can challenge an executive and say, you know what, mm. is that really in keeping with our values? Um, if I could digress for a second, um, I was listening to uh, Elon Musk speak um, uh, about a year ago where he was describing why he has made all of the patents for Tesla motor vehicles open source. Um, and he describes it as simply that the values and the mission of his organization is actually to promote sustainability in the, in the world. And he does that through the technology of vehicles. And he said that it is not in keeping with trying to promote a better world, which includes sharing that with other organizations. Yeah. So if they can build a better car that, uh, that can go. I think meetings is a good mm. start. Uh, a lot of people seem to feel as though uh, if, if, if I've, I'm also a, a, mm. a professional coach, particularly for executives making, helping them be a little bit more effective. When I ask an executive, uh, what are their top four priorities? They can rattle them off in seconds. But when you look at their calendar, and you then say, well, where, where are you spending all of your time? It's in team meetings or executive meetings. Um, it's instead of trying to look at yeah. what are the key things in, in the strategy that are actually going to give the biggest benefit to the organization, either improve performance, reduce yeah. cost, improve profitability, or just make the place a better place to work. Mm. That's not where most people are spending their time. 
Um, and people are feeling more and more uh, uptight and anxious as a consequence. So you end up with executive <laughs> burnout very, very quickly. Yeah, that's a good point. Because people feel that they can't engage. They can't get things moving. And yet, if you're in the if you're a director of an organization and you can't affect change, what chance does anybody else in the organization have when they see that that's a blockage? So, so being able to get people who are leaders in an organization to actually lead and say, you know what? We've just got, we've got to stop what we're doing and change and be prepared to look at alternatives. When I, as a project person, I see people decide they think they want to hit a certain objective. They want to get to a, a project outcome, <laughs> but instead of looking at the options to get you there and what changes you would have to make to get there quick, mm. let's start the project. Let's get the team, put some money, go. That's akin to sort of ready fire. Oh wait, we probably should have aimed. This is where we end up with a problem in most organizations <laughs> is that you know, people are so busy being busy, they don't take the time to stop to think, well, should I be doing this at all? There's nothing more useless than doing something really efficiently. Yeah. That which really shouldn't be done at all. That's not my quote. I can't remember who it was, but I'll, I can't claim it. Um, but but it's, a, it's, a great, it's a great statement. If you make a process uh, that, that's yeah. basically producing crap uh, much more efficient, you're just producing more crap faster. So why not step back? Starting it from zero. And I think it's in that book that there's a question. Oh, no, it might be in, yeah. I get yeah. The, I get them all mixed up because there's so many good ideas. Yes. But I, I'll give it, I think it was him, but this idea of saying what, um, what would it look like to get the same results with a third? Actually, I think it's from the book Profit First. Sorry, it just came to my mind. Um, it's, it's a great book, Profit First. And uh, they talk about, he talks about <laughs> a leader who said to his team, what would what could it look like to get the same results by uh, a third of the costs? And of course, that's a that's it's just meant to be a prompt and a trigger to go. What could we do? Or as Greg uh, McEwen says, you know, how could we? What steps could we get rid of altogether? Um, I know one of my favorite things to do with teams is a stop doing list, and I love the idea of saying we love to do lists, we love innovating, brainstorming. Why don't we brainstorm? what we could stop doing. And I remember a team I was leading one time, we did this and we came up with this one idea and, and most of it was useless as with, which is, which is fine because it's really meant to be throwing things, yeah. you know, throwing spaghetti at the wall and seeing what sticks. But one idea someone put, someone wrote up there and we all went, that's actually, it, we all looked at each other and it, it was one of those things that had always been done in that team and in that organization. And we all looked at each other and went, why do we do that? That's like, we just hadn't considered not sure. doing that. And when we did, we started asking, we were like, well, those people would be a little bit annoyed and it would stop bringing in that tiny bit of profit there. But apart from that, we realized everyone else probably wouldn't miss it at all. And it's a massive burn on our, on our resources mm -hmm. and time in particular. So we went through this process and we ended up cutting it and it was amazing. It was just, so I think a stop doing list and uh, actually just looking at projects and trying to get rid of steps altogether, starting them from scratch and going, what would be the simplest way to do this to get rid of all unnecessary steps? Um, I mean, even just to be really transparent, that's something I've done recently in my own work with Clarity. I was doing something and I tried it and I realized, you know what, it's working okay, but this other thing I'm doing at the same time is at least 10 times more effective. And I just looked at this other thing I was doing and I was going, 
and, and I just went, you know what? I'm just going to stop doing that because it, which is a little bit hard because you're like, oh, but it's, it's getting some results. But it's like, I'm going to just pour more of my time because at the moment, particularly with clarity, a lot of what I'm investing is my time as, as the entrepreneur and the, and the leader, uh, you know, really, uh, leading the, the charge and really, really only started it five years ago. So it's still a lot of me. And I just realized I'm just going to stop doing that and take all the time I was putting into that and put it into the thing that's way more effective. It sounds obvious, but it was actually, uh, that's, yeah, that's a, true. a really good insight that, uh, and I think you, you've, you've touched on something that I think a number of people conflate the ideas of removing steps from a process and actually taking your time to stop and seeing whether the process should be done at all. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and so by just taking your process and taking out the steps, you are making that process more, more efficient. And that's actually something that we've done with a number of clients and a number of organizations where you know, we just turn around to them and say, well, if you didn't have to do that at all, um, would you miss it? Um, or if you wanted to get that outcome, to, to, your, to, your, <laughs> to your conversation earlier where, um, you know, do you really need to, to achieve that? Or, if, or is there a way of getting to that same outcome yes. in an entirely different way that's far less costly and, and le it takes less effort? And people often don't do that because they, they have the same approach. And I, and I find that that approach often <laughs> is your, your public sector organizations in particular yeah. that will continually add what they consider to be more controls into a process. <laughs> but we have a saying that basically um, you, know, you have a, a heaps of controls, but no control. And so starting with the end in mind, the whole Stephen Covey idea. Yeah, yeah, you're of, right. What are you trying to achieve? And what are the, what are the various ways you can get there um, is a far more effective way of, of being able to do things. And we, we find that the most useful tool in our arsenal is um, a room with a whiteboard and a, and a whiteboard marker. Um, it was such a Steve Jobs way of doing things. But, um, and, and, and apologies to, uh, if I don't get it exactly right, to those people who are big, you know, sort of mega fans of the, of, uh, of Steve Jobs and what he did. But when he came back to Apple and things were really, really had gone south and it was really a, a save the company sort of time when he initially came back, maybe late 90s or, or two, it was, it was around then, late 90s, two thousand, early 2000s when he came back into Apple. And, um, and I remember they had something like 3,000 projects. It, it was, they had in the time that he hadn't been there, they just they just started exploring everything. And of course, there's, there'd be lots of arguments for, for that, right? But what he did, knowing that they had to make changes so fast, is he would have people coming through and um, and they would they would sort of give an update and present on a project that they were doing. And we're talking, I think, in like minutes or maybe dozens of minutes, maybe an hour. And they're presenting to him, and there's there's once again dozens, maybe a hundred people on some of these on some of the bigger projects, and he would look at it with his with his team, and just the story that Walter Isaacson tells of how some of these people reflect, going, yeah, so we've been working on this for years, sunk all this money into it, and an hour or even less with Steve Jobs, and he'd say, no, nah, this is sorry, we're cutting this. And they just cut and they cut and they cut. And of course, now it seems like common sense, but you've got to remember at the time they went from, um, and I think it was, it, it was they, they really, and of course there's a horrible side of it as well because a lot of people lost their jobs. Uh, saying, okay, how can we make that project more effective? He just cut them and said, 
this is what we need to focus on, what eventually would become the iPod and the, uh, you know, the iPhone and the iPad. And that's what they worked on. Um, and the, you know, the iMac and, and the MacBooks and all, and all those things that, that really you can only rattle off. There'd be less than 10 that they're really well known for. And uh, I just can't even fathom the intensity to come in and to just cut that much. Like, I don't know if I could have done that, uh, but um, hindsight tells us that... It- oh, it certainly has been. And uh, I had the great fortune of working yeah, with that's good. Uh, some of the senior people at Apple here in Australia. Um, and they they relate that story. And <laughs> it's become ingrained in the culture, what they call... And I'll get the number wrong, but I think they said it's a thousand or even a million no's to get to one yes. And every one of those no's Every one of those no's must cause you visceral pain. It can't just be a throwaway no. And so what you end up with is people who are so passionately and emotionally invested in an idea, getting that idea that you're told, no, we're not going to continue. And the culture of Apple uh, is to build resilience in people as well. They've invested in people Mm. to know that when you're saying no, it's not that your value as an individual is somehow diminished. It's simply that I respect you so much that we're going to compare what you're doing with somebody else. I found some of the stories of his quirky and just like, I, I love that side of leadership. Like we all love going, oh, he was such a great leader. But then you just read and he was strange. Like he did strange things and he definitely wasn't perfect, but I just found the way he thought and led so <laughs> at times so hilarious and brilliant. That book is just, oh man, it's, uh, it's fantastic. This is, uh, <laughs> we could talk for, for so long about that, but I just. Oh, there are so many good opportunities to, to think of things I've, <laughs> I've learned in the past. Um, but I think it's, so it, it, I'll actually almost try and quote Steve Jobs here, but surround yourself with really good people and help get the obstacles out of their way. And that might include yourself. Get people focused on a particular vision of of something and get good people around you. But but the most important thing, I think, uh, aligned with that was back to my original story of the Sydney Manufacturing Company. (laughs) Uh, But I I love that piece of advice. And uh, don't we all know it from experience when you do the opposite? you end up regretting it a thousand times. And that's when you learn to really take that advice to heart. That's my story. Anyway, I've found that unfortunately there's been a bit of oh, uh, a lot of trial and error. I wish I learned more from, from other people's uh, mistakes, but I think along the way I've probably had to make a lot of them myself. And, uh, but that's a bit of the journey I think of, of leadership. So um, Nathan, this has been so much fun. Where can people find you if they want to connect with you, if they want to find out about improvability, maybe just remind us again about your, your podcast. Sure. Uh, we have uh, our 110% improvability um, podcast. Uh, it's available on, I think most platforms. Um, they can also look for us on uh, improvability solutions.com is our website where we have a number of case studies of things. We've done over the it's years. been uh, some of my favorite book recommendations in this episode from Nathan, because I love Patrick Lanchoni so much, uh, but also getting the chance to chat about Walter Isaacson's uh, Steve Jobs book. Oh, man, they'd be in my top 10 uh, at least. So Greg McEwen, there's so many. Uh, but um, reminder for listeners, you can also check out the John O. White Leadership Podcast. <laughs> and we also have the Leadership Question of the Day, where I ask you a different question 
every day to help you grow as a leader. Uh, but I want to finish today by saying a massive thank you, Nathan, for being so generous with your time, for coming on, for uh, for chatting and and uh, and just having uh, a great time with me as we talk about all things leadership and sharing a bit of your story. It's been it's been a lot of fun and and I've found it really informative and engaging. So uh, thank you so much for coming on, Nathan. Oh, thank you for the opportunity, Jono. It truly has been fun. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast as much as I did. If you're joining us for the first time, don't forget to check out consultclarity.org. That's our website, consultclarity.org. We have so many free resources on there, including our seven questions on leadership series. We've had more than 1,500 leaders from all over the world in all different roles, in different industries, answer these seven questions on leadership and leaders give these in-depth answers around how they spend their time, uh, a book that's been significant for them. It's just a gold mine. It's completely free to access. So go to consultclarity.org and look for that. We'd also love to interview you about your leadership. I believe your experience, your life, your context means that you have advice on leadership that other leaders can learn from. Yes, you, if you're going, not me. Well, no, I really believe you would have something to add. So if you're looking for a way to give back, it's completely free to get involved. And we would love to interview you through the seven questions on leadership. You just go to consultclarity.org forward slash seven dash questions dash interest or Google consultclarity.org seven questions interest and fill out the form and get involved. We have a free resource on our website called the Leadership Survival Guide. It's a 57-page ebook, 10 world-class leaders giving their thoughts on leadership, and that's completely free. It's available on our homepage, consultclarity.org, right at the top. So make sure you go and get that and download it today. And we have a free daily email that you can subscribe to. We send this out to over 15,000 leaders from around the world. And uh, it contains the highlights of content from our podcasts, our blogs, um, our books, books we're reading. It's got the best content and it gives you exclusive, limited, early access to our masterclasses, workshops, new products, special offers. It's all for our subscribers. You can go to consultclarity.org forward slash subscribe and join 15,000 other leaders and you know, my gift to you is to work really hard, particularly through the Leadership Conversations podcast. I have been blown away by the quality of the leaders and I'm learning as much as anyone in doing these interviews. So I, I'm having a great time. And my gift to you is to keep lining up the best leaders I can to invest in your leadership. Your gift to me, if you're finding this helpful, there is something that you could do that would help us out massively. And that is to write a review and to leave a rating for our podcast or wherever you're watching or listening to this, I can't tell you how much that helps us out. Also subscribe or follow. It really does make a difference in helping us to help more leaders become everything they're meant to be. Another thing that means a lot to me personally is when I see our community share our content. So if you do share this or any other piece of content on social media, then thank you and, and please do that. And look for me, John White or clarity and tag us in your post. Our team is always looking for posts to engage with from our community. And there's also a chance that we'll share your content uh, to go beyond and share it with our followers. Last of all, you can check out my book. It's called Step Up or Step Out, How to Deal with Difficult People Even if You Hate Conflict. 
I wrote this book because 50% of the coaching sessions I have with leaders, this topic comes up again and again and again. And it's this idea of how do I have this difficult conversation? How do I lead this person better when I'm finding them difficult? Or in some cases you look and you say, I think I might be leading a difficult person. They're just quite difficult to lead or I'm finding them quite difficult to lead. So there's a three-step process that I unpack in step up or step out. And the amazing thing, and I've literally done this myself and I've heard it anecdotally from other leaders as I've coached them, is that if you follow this process, you will see that person step up and change their behavior or make a decision, which is to step out some of the time. Uh, 95% of the time, people will step up or step out in just four weeks. And I stand by that. It's uh, You have to read the book to understand, but uh, I really do believe in it and I've experienced it firsthand. It works. So you can go to Amazon, look up Step Up or Step Out John O. White or store.consultclarity.org forward slash book. Well, thank you so much for listening. We're going to be back with a new episode next time of the Leadership Conversations podcast. And I hope today has helped you to take another step towards becoming the leader you're meant to be. See you next time. 